friends, salama dole, salama. That means hello in Malagasy. So it's good to see you folks this evening, and it is a blessing to be back here uh, with you, giving you an update on what God is doing there in Madagascar. Uh, it's been a few years since we've been here. I think the last time that we came by was back in about 2014, maybe 2015. So it's been a couple years, and a little bit has changed since then. I think at that time we just had two little girls, uh, two daughters, and uh, now we have five. In 2016, we moved to France, and our third daughter was born in France. Uh, then we moved to Madagascar. We came back for a furlough in 2019 when our son was born, and then back in 2022, uh, 21. I, I should know this because it's my daughter. Uh, she was born in uh, 2021, and so uh, she was born in Madagascar. So we have one French daughter, one Malagasy daughter, and uh, three American kids, but uh, anyway, they're all ours anyway, and we're thankful for that, but uh, we have five kids the Lord has blessed us with. Uh, we've been serving in the country of Madagascar since 2017, as I mentioned. We left for the field in 2016, uh, stopping by first in Paris, France, uh, to learn the French language, and then after that, we moved down to Madagascar in 2017, where we began to learn the Malagasy language. And both languages are used and spoken there in Madagascar, but really the predominant language, the language that we use uh, really on a regular basis, on a day-to-day basis, is the Malagasy language. And a lot of people like to ask, uh, is that similar in any way to English or French uh, or uh, Spanish? And the answer is no. Uh, There's really no similarities uh, whatsoever. It's just a, a lot different. And it's really just a completely different language. And the easiest example I can give you uh, is uh, basically, uh, if you can speak Yoda, uh, the little green guy from Star Wars, then you'd probably do pretty well at speaking the Malagasy language. The reason being is, they normally start with the verb and then say everything else and put the subject at the end. And a very simple example is, they don't say, I love you, like we would say here, they say, love you, I. And so, like I said, if you can speak Yoda, I think you'd probably do okay in Madagascar as well. And so, it's uh, just a little bit of a different language, and you've got to just uh, kind of learn. Turn your head around backwards, and then uh, it just kind of flows nice and smoothly after that. But we learned the Malagasy language and uh, have been working and ministering in that language since we've been there. We came back in 2019 for a furlough and then back over to Madagascar in 2020. And uh, once we got to Madagascar, we knew where God would have us to go and start a church. Uh, we're right there in the capital city called Antananarivu. Uh, and so we moved from basically the north side of the city to the east side of the city. And we got back in January, moved across town in February, and then COVID-19 came in March. And so a lot happened very quickly, and at first we were a little discouraged. We didn't know what God was going to do uh, through that. We were excited to get back to Madagascar and knew uh, that God would have us start a church, and then everything shut down and there was nothing we could do anyway. Uh, after uh, a couple weeks into the confinement, it became very obvious to us that uh, there was really a great physical need there in Madagascar. The government was not really helping the people uh, during that time. And so uh, when they were out of work for about six or eight weeks, it meant there was no income and meant there was no cash flow coming through the house, uh, the family. And so it was very difficult, of course, to go and buy uh, just some necessary needs. And so we kind of got together with uh, some friends and with the help of many supporting churches, we were able to pass out some rice and beans and just some simple necessities uh, for the people. And from that, as we mentioned in the video, one lady came to us and was interested in the church. 
And we were thinking, starting the church several months down the road, do a Bible study, get to know people. Uh, but she was interested, and we were ready, and we felt the Lord was leading us to start the church. And so we started. Uh, she eventually came. Uh, after that, she brought some friends. After that, she brought some more friends. And the church just really began to grow slowly from then. And it was just uh, really exciting to see how God could use uh, a little thing called COVID-19 uh, that really was uh, something that was uh, really wreaking havoc throughout the, the entire world. Um, but uh, I don't know uh, for sure all the reasons why God allowed uh, the, the pandemic like that to happen, but I can tell you this. Uh, God used that to really start a church in a place where there was no church four years ago, and he used it to bring people to Christ that didn't know Christ four years ago. And so we're excited and happy for how God really allowed and used uh, really such a tragic situation uh, for his glory and for his good. And of course, the Bible does tell us that, that God's ways are above our ways and his thoughts are above our thoughts, and uh, he certainly does great things uh, through tragedies, and we don't always understand what he's doing, but we're excited uh, for how God used COVID-19 to start our church there in Madagascar. Uh, for the last three and a half years, the church has been growing steadily, and God has been adding to his church such as should be saved, and we've been excited to see many people come to know Christ as their Savior, baptized, and then much like tonight, uh, going through a discipleship program, just getting grounded in the Word of God. Uh, Madagascar, at least the people, are very religious, Many of the people go to church on Sunday. In fact, every Sunday morning as we're on our way to our church, uh, we see a lot of people in the streets on the way to their church. And so they're very, very religious people. In fact, the main religion in Madagascar is Christianity. Uh, there's a lot of people that attend Protestant churches or Catholic churches, Lutheran churches, uh, like that. But if you were to ask somebody uh, uh, what is their hope of eternal life, they would tell you it's because of their baptism or good works or because they're a faithful member of their local church. And so, really, uh, they're religious, but they're lost. And it really has given us a great opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and let them know that it's not works or baptism or any church that can save us, but just Jesus Christ alone. And so we've been excited to see many people make that change of faith. Uh, faith from their works to faith in Jesus Christ alone. And then just coming into the church. And I tell you, it's exciting uh, to watch people accept Christ as their Savior and see that hunger and thirst that they have as they seek this new life or uh, have this new life in Christ. And so it's just been an exciting thing for us to be, start, uh, be a part of uh, a church plant where uh, seeing a lot of people who have accepted Christ come together and really start growing. And uh, they don't always get it right, but I don't know that we all always get it right. We, we uh, certainly have things that we can work on, and we're excited that in Madagascar that people just continue to grow and are hungry for the Word of God. Just this morning, I was texting back and forth with uh, a young man in our church, and uh, they already had their Wednesday night services by that point in time, and he said, I've got great news. Uh, I was able to lead two people to Christ today. And that is certainly exciting and rewarding when somebody that you've led to Christ is now leading others to Christ as well. And uh, that's, that's what it's all about. Uh, you know, it's not always about the building or, uh, you know, the, the amount. It's just about seeing people accept Christ as their Savior and then those going out and reaching more for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, uh, great things happening over there. Uh, I've already been inviting some, uh, for all of you who don't like the cold and don't like the snow, come to Madagascar, okay? Uh, if you're tired of it here, just come on over. We're happy to have you over there. Uh, it's just a short flight of about 20 hours that get you there. And then uh, you'll be there. And it's nice and warm over there, and we'd be happy to have you come on over. So uh, anyway, we would be certainly thrilled for that. Realistically, we realize that many of you may never make it to Madagascar, and uh, that's sad, uh, but that is the reality. But if you could, 
please continue to send your prayers. Uh, we are so thankful for you and your faithful prayers and support for us throughout the many, many years. Uh, for about nine years now, I believe the Lord's been, uh, allowed us to work together in reaching Madagascar with the gospel. And so thank you so much for your faithfulness. And we'd just like to ask once again that you'd continue to be faithful in your prayers for us and for the ministry there in Madagascar. If I could just uh, add on two prayer requests to uh, the prayer list tonight, that'd be a great blessing to us. Two main goals that we really have and two prayer requests that we have for us as we get back to Madagascar would be these. Number one, pray that God would uh, call a man to take over the work in the ministry there in Madagascar. Our job is to get out of a job in Madagascar. We started the church and now we're praying that God would call a national pastor, a Malagasy man, to come and take over the work. We're excited. We've seen some young men. Uh, really just get excited about the ministry. One young man is uh, already studying for the ministry. Um, He's still several years out from uh, maybe taking over a pastorate, but just pray that God would raise up a man that would be able to take our church and uh, really lead that church so that we can go on to another location and start a church in another location. So that would be the first prayer request. But the second prayer request that we'd have, and this is uh, really our our, our, our prayer request that we're praying on a regular basis, pray that God would lead us uh, to the right piece of land and then help us to be able to buy and then build a building. We've been in a private school for the last three and a half years since we started the church, and it's just been a great situation all around. We've been able to help that school as well as the school has been able to help us. We've been able to use all of their facilities, uh, which is great, uh, but we kind of need our own location. Uh, I should say we've been paying rent for that school for the last three and a half years. Our rent each month is about $15 a month. And so uh, they're not asking a whole lot, obviously, uh, and that has really helped us as well to save and prepare for uh, building, uh, building and buying land. But we're just asking God to really lead us to the right place and then make everything fall together so that we can build a building over there. So if you would pray for those things, that would be great. Uh, we're excited to get back in the end of February. In fact, February 29th. I think this year we have a leap year, and so we'll get back on uh, leap day, I guess, and uh, back over there, back to work, and just praying that God would lead us and bless us as we continue to do the work there in Madagascar. Well, we're excited about that, and we're excited about what God uh, continues to do there, as well as here. And uh, it's been great. I was sharing with Pastor a little bit over dinner that uh, on this furlough, uh, we've been able to uh, visit several supporting churches, and we're just excited to see what God is doing here in the United States. Believe it or not, uh, people are still being saved here, and uh, churches are growing, and that's just exciting to see that God is not done. Uh, uh, People are still hungry and searching for truth. And if we would just be faithful to the Lord, he'd use us uh, for his glory. And so uh, what an exciting thing it is to be part of God's work uh, in uh, 2024. And I pray that we'd all be faithful in that. Let's take our Bibles, if we would, this evening and go to Acts chapter 16. We're going to be in Acts chapter 16 just for a few moments this evening as we uh, just kind of consider a thought from the Word of God as we consider the area of missions and the work that God is doing here and around the world. And I'm excited about this passage, Acts chapter 16. Uh, because in many ways it has become real to us uh, as we kind of step out into missions and start churches in places where there have not been churches before. Uh, we have kind of really uh, taken a liking or at least a little bit more interest to the Apostle Paul and his ministry in the book of Acts. Uh, in Acts chapter 16, Paul is setting out on his second missionary journey. 
And I know for us, who many of us are students of the Word, we've heard stories from the Word of God for many, many years, uh, when we think about the missionary journeys of Paul, uh, we're familiar with them, we know what's going on, but keep in mind that in Paul's day, and in Acts chapter 16, all of this is still brand new. Uh, Paul just finished his first missionary journey, uh, the first missionary journey really that has ever happened, where a man or a group of men went out to start churches, preach the gospel and started churches. And they came back to their church uh, there in Antioch and they gave an update on what God was doing. The church was excited to hear of the souls that were saved. Keep in mind that Paul was persecuted as well, stoned and left for dead. Uh, but Paul's ready to go back. He's just excited to see what God already did, and now uh, he really can't be contained. He's just ready to get back on the road and uh, preach the gospel. And so they start out going back to those churches that they had already started, but Paul is not content. He wants to go farther. He wants to preach to more. He wants to reach more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's where we come to in Acts chapter 16. It's his second missionary journey. And now Paul is uh, reaching out into areas where he has never been before. And I'd like to really consider a few things this evening as we consider Paul's second missionary journey, specifically as he comes to an area or a region called Macedonia. And he's going to stop into one city uh, that you and I know something about. It's the city called Philippi. This is the city uh, where, the, uh, where a church is going to be started and the epistle of Philippians is going to be written to. And I find it interesting that as Paul comes into this city of Philippi, he's going to uh, meet three different kinds of people. Uh, people that uh, are very different from one another, uh, people that really didn't have a lot in common other than the fact that they lived in the same city. But what's amazing is that Paul is going to reach three different kinds of people with the gospel of Jesus Christ as he comes into this city called Philippi. And what I believe uh, and what we will see this evening is this. I believe that the three kinds of people that Paul reached in Philippi are still with us today. Yes, it's been 2,000 or almost 2,000 years since Paul has lived, but I believe that the kinds of people that Paul met and the kinds of people that Paul preached the gospel to are still with us today. And I believe that we still have a great opportunity to reach these kinds of people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's look at the kinds of people that Paul met as he came into the city of Philippi. We'll begin reading in verse number 12, and we'll see the first uh, type of person that Paul met there in the city of Philippi. The Bible says in Acts 16, verse 12, And from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia and a colony. And we were in that city abiding certain days. And on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized and her household, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. The first kind of person that Paul met in the city of Philippi was somebody hungry for the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is an amazing story if you stop and try to put things into perspective. 
Paul just came into a Gentile city where people were worshiping different kinds of idols and were involved in all kinds of idolatry. And Paul was looking for somebody to preach the gospel to. And it just so happened that he went outside of the city on the Sabbath day. And it just so happened that he met a group of women that had just so happened to meet together for prayer. And Paul approaches them and begins to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that they attended to the things that were spoken of Paul. In other words, they were listening with both ears to what Paul was talking about because their heart was hungry for the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is an amazing story that God would orchestrate these men, Paul and Silas, coming to this Gentile place to meet this group of women at the same exact time and place where they were already seeking God. And God would put it all together so that as soon as Paul and Silas would come and preach the gospel, they would believe. And the Bible says that Lydia, one of them, was baptized and her household, which would also lead us to believe that she accepted Christ as her savior and was ready to follow Christ with her life. And what's amazing is that Paul and Silas are somewhat confused about what to do next. And Lydia comes back behind them and says, hey, look, stop a while. Everything that you've been talking about is exactly what I've been searching for. And the Bible says that she constrained them. In other words, she convinced them and forced them and said, hey, use my house. Preach, preach the gospel, start a church, do what you want to do. But what you're telling me is exactly what I've been looking for for years. This is a great story and reminder that in our world today, there are people hungry for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. If you don't believe me, that's fine. I'm not offended. But believe what Jesus Christ said. He said, what? The harvest is truly plenteous. What does that mean? It means that our world is hungry for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've already shared some stories of uh, what God did there in Madagascar. Uh, And it continues to amaze us how God really used COVID-19 to reach a world that was hungry for the gospel. We were really trying to meet physical needs by that community outreach. But because one lady was hungry for the gospel, our church was started and uh, she was excited and went out and got her friends and brought them to church. And they were excited and brought their friends to church. Why? Because there were people hungry for the gospel of Jesus Christ. If I'm honest with you tonight, Pastor, I wasn't really working that hard to reach them. People were just hungry to come and find the gospel of Jesus Christ. After the second confinement, uh, we mentioned there in the video, we were forced into another lockdown there in Madagascar. And after the second confinement, after we were on the radio ministry for a couple uh, weeks, uh, another lady came to our church and uh, uh, she said, listen, this is exactly what I've been looking for. I'm going to bring my husband, she said. The next week she came back with her husband. The week after that, she came back with her three children. And uh, some of them were in some of the pictures that you just saw not too long ago. They've been faithfully attending the church since then because they were hungry and searching for a church that would preach the truth of the gospel. Our world is full of people who are hungry. Now, I don't know about you, but I can remember because I've not always been a missionary. Before we went to the mission field, I sat in the uh, pews where you are sitting this evening and I heard missionaries come by and share stories like this. And in the back of my mind, I would always say to myself, well, that just happens on the mission field. That's a good missionary story. Thanks a lot. But let me share this with you. Several years ago, uh, while we were working on staff at our sending church there in New Jersey, uh, I can remember being out in our community one Saturday morning, passing out invitations to people. 
And I remember seeing a young man, 19 years old, who was in his front yard mowing the lawn. And he had his earbuds in and he was busy kind of taking care of things there. And as I walked up to his house, honestly, in my mind, I thought, I'm just going to skip this one because it's a young guy. He's probably just going to get irritated with me. He's busy anyway. Let me just go to the next house and I'll just leave him alone. But the Holy Spirit said, no, no, you need to go and give him an invitation. Don't pass him by. Don't stop. Uh, don't, don't, don't go to the next house. Give him an invitation. And so I did. I walked up to him, tapped him on the shoulder. He took his earbuds out. And I shared with him who I was, what I was doing, gave him an invitation. And I'll never forget what he said to me next. He said, you're not going to believe this, but as I was mowing the lawn right now, I was praying, saying, God, if you're real, send me somebody to tell me more about you. It's a true story, and I'm not embellishing it. And that happened here in the United States. Actually, it happened in New Jersey, which is kind of worse than the United States. People are hungry for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have to believe that in our world, no, in our community, not far from these doors, there are people searching for what we have. Paul and Silas came to this Gentile city, met a group of ladies that were searching for truth, preached the gospel, one in particular accepted Christ. And we don't know this for sure, but I believe that that first church at Philippi probably started there in the house of Lydia. Somebody that was just looking for the truth. Our world is full of people who are hungry. Paul continues his ministry there in Philippi, and he comes to the second group of people, the second type of people. Notice, if you would, verse number 16, and we kind of see the second group or the second type of person that Paul met there in Philippi. Verse number 16, the Bible says, And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with the spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this did she many days, but Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. Here we have a short story that we really don't know much about before and we don't hear anything uh, after about what happened to this young lady. But the Bible says here's a young lady, a damsel, who had a spirit of divination. In other words, she was demon-possessed. We don't know how old she is, but I like to imagine in my mind, she was maybe 15, 16, 17 years old, just a young lady. And here she is, completely possessed by a demon, by a spirit. Which means she no longer had control over uh, over her faculties. I believe that she probably didn't have any joy, she didn't have any peace, she didn't have any hope of eternity. Her life was really completely ruined because of what uh, had taken over her. And Paul and Silas come, and they see her, they see her need, and the Bible says that Paul was grieved because she continued to follow them, and I believe she was mocking them. And finally one day Paul turns around and tells uh, the Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her, cast the Spirit out. And I believe this young lady, her life was changed for all of eternity since then. I believe that in our world today there are many people just like this who we would call the hurting. There are people that are hurting. Here in the United States, maybe we don't see as much of this, but I can say in Madagascar, it's a very dark country. There's a lot of spirit worship. There's a lot of uh, demonic oppression and demonic possession. Uh, Several months ago, uh, there was a lady that had been coming to our church. We hadn't seen her for a couple weeks, and so wanted to follow up and just kind of check in with her and see how she was doing. And I'll never forget sitting in her house there in Madagascar, 
and uh, she was sitting on her bed, I was sitting on a chair, and we were just talking, and she said, Pastor, that window right behind you, she said, the first thing I do every morning is I wake up, and I open that window, and she said, the first thing that I see is a spirit or a demon that walks by every morning. It's a dark place. Back in August of last year, we had kids camp uh, for our church. And uh, right before kids camp happened, we had a young couple in our church call us and ask Rachel and I to come by. Uh, they said their daughter is completely delirious. They have no idea what happened. We don't know uh, what it is, if it's just a sickness or if it's a spirit. Or They had no idea. So they said, please come by and pray because we don't know what's going on. We got there. And sure enough, that young girl was about seven or eight years old. She didn't know who her mom was. She didn't know who her dad was. Uh, she didn't really know where she was. She had no idea what was going on. And, of course, the parents are scared, wondering, is this a sickness or is this a spirit? or What exactly is this that has my daughter? We were able to just pray with her, read the Word of God out loud, and just ask God to do a work in ways that we can't. We're excited a few days later. She seemed to recover okay. But, again, there's a fear of, of demonic oppression. I can remember about two years ago, I was with a young man in our church who had just accepted Christ as a Savior as well, and him and I were out one Saturday morning. Uh, somebody had passed away, and so we were going to just kind of pay our condolences uh, to the family. And, uh, of course, the tradition or the, the ritual in Madagascar is you walk in and the body's right there, so you pay respects to the family uh, as you pay respects to those who had, the one who had passed away as well. Uh, but I can remember as we came back to my house, just before I opened the door and walked into my house with this young man with me, he said, Pastor, stop. He said, isn't there something we need to do before we go in your house? And I stopped to think for a moment and then finally realized or remembered that in Madagascar they have a tradition that any time you're around death or somebody who has passed away, the people believe that the spirit of death or at least a bad spirit is now following you. And the way that you protect yourself or the way that you protect your family in your house is as you get back to your house, you build a little fire, you get some paper or some sticks and you build a little fire there in, in front of your front door. And then as the smoke goes up, you walk through the fire and that smoke is a barrier between you and the bad spirit that may be following you. And that's how you kind of protect yourself from that. And so before I open my door, he said, Pastor, stop. Isn't there something we need to do before you go in there? And when I realized what he was talking about, I said, listen, brother, greater is he that is in us than he that's in this world. The truth is this, folks. In our world today, there are people who are hurting. The devil has done a great job to really oppress many people. And I can say in Madagascar, it's maybe a little bit more obvious over there. But I would say here in the United States, we see enough of that as well. Streets anymore are just full of people who are hurting, in need of help. And you and I have the answer. It's Jesus Christ. Paul came to this city and he was able to help a young lady who had no hope of eternity, who had no peace and joy, who had no knowledge of the Savior. And in a moment, he gave her the hope that she needed. We don't know this for sure, but I like to think in my mind that this young lady was probably part of that early startup church there in Philippi. Started going to church and saw her life change for the gospel of Jesus Christ. In our world today, there are people who are hurting. 
And we have the knowledge or the gospel of Jesus Christ that changes their lives. So Paul came to the city of Philippi and he found a group that were hungry for the gospel. He found those that were hurting in desperate need for the gospel. But the last group of people that Paul met, or at least the type of people that Paul met, were those who were hopeless and desperately in need of the gospel. We see that in verse number 25. And you might know the story, the background of the story here. Uh, when uh, the owner of this young lady, this damsel, uh, found out that the spirit of divination had left that young lady, he was irate. He was angry. Uh, he had lost his source of income. And this is just a reminder to show you what this world is just all about. If they can hurt you to, to make money off of that situation, they're happy to do that. And this now man is angry because his source of income through this young lady is gone. And so he causes a riot there in the streets of Philippi. And eventually they come and take Paul and Silas and they beat them and they put him into prison. And what do Paul and Silas do that midnight? Verse number 25, the Bible tells us in that midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them and suddenly there was a great earthquake. So that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep, seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. As I read this story, I'm mindful of a man of a man who had absolutely no hope. In just a moment's notice, when tragedy came, when crisis struck, when this man looked down the corridors of that prison and thought that all the prisoners were gone, he said, there is nothing left to live for. Let me take out my sword and take my own life. And he was no doubt seconds away from ending it all because he had no hope. He had nothing left to live for. The rest of the story goes on to tell us that he did have a family. He was married. He had children. I believe he was probably doing okay in life. He was probably part of the Roman uh, army. He was probably doing pretty well financially. He was probably rising pretty well in his community, probably well known there in the area. And really materialistically, or at least as far as his family goes, we would say there was a lot left to live for. But he said, look, it's all over. I've got nothing else. Let me just end it all tonight. And then Paul cries out with a loud voice and says, Stop. There's hope. It's found in Jesus Christ. It's amazing that this jailer runs in and he falls on his knees. And what one question does he ask Paul and Silas? What one question does our hopeless world ask when tragedy and crisis come? They ask, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And what hope do we give them? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. I'll never forget in 2020, COVID-19 came to Madagascar. And for the first time in all of my life, as I looked out across our community, I realized for the first time just how hopeless our world really is. As I saw people there in Madagascar doing all that they could, taking every available precaution to save their lives, I realized our world is without hope. 
In Madagascar, the medical situation is slightly different than here in the United States. Uh, we don't exactly have uh, the same medical facilities or the, the same availability as we would here in the United States. Uh, and, uh, of course, for many of the people there in Madagascar, when COVID came, they said, you know what? It's just a 50-50 chance. Uh, if I get it, there's not a whole lot of hope in the doctors. There's not a whole lot of hope in medicine. There's not a whole lot of hope in the, the hospitals. And so for the people there in Madagascar, they said, it's just 50-50. If I get it, maybe I live, maybe I die. And when they came to grips with that reality that their lives could end in just a moment's notice, when their lives, uh, really, when they stepped on the precipice of the afterlife, I saw really for the first time just how hopeless this world was. They did everything they possibly could to save their lives. Why? Because there was no hope on the other side. And we were excited to preach the gospel during that time and see people come to know Christ as their Savior and find that there is hope. There is hope beyond the grave. And it's only found in Jesus Christ. Our world is full of people who are hopeless. I don't like to say this, but I think it is a reality for us. Sooner or later, the next crisis or the next tragedy will strike. It may not be a worldwide pandemic. It may not be something like we just saw a few years ago. But I believe sooner or later, maybe in your family, in your community, maybe even in this church, tragedy or crisis may strike. And would to God that when it does our hopeless world that is around us would come running to us and say, what must I do to be saved? Paul and Silas sang praises to God at midnight and had a clear testimony for the gospel so that when the crisis did come, the world came running to them. And Would, God, would to God that we would be used by God to reach this hopeless world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's been almost 2,000 years since Paul and Silas first visited the city of Philippi. But I believe that the people that they met that day or those weeks or those months that they ministered there in Philippi are still with us today. Maybe not the same people, but certainly the same kinds of people. I believe that not far from this place, there are still people hungry for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we need to believe that. We need to believe that tomorrow or the rest of this week as we're out in the grocery store or uh, we're at, at our workplace, that there are people around us that are searching for truth. And you and I have the answers. May God help us to open our mouths and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe that there are also many, many people not far from these doors that are hurting, desperately in need of help. And if we don't help them, who will? If we don't go and reach them, who will? Paul and Silas came to the city and they helped those who were hurting. And I believe that we can do the same thing even in our world today. Our world is full of people who are hurting. And most of all, I believe that our world is full of people who absolutely have no hope. We live in a hopeless world, but you and I have the gospel of Jesus Christ, which gives hope beyond the grave. So that when the next tragedy does come, you and I first and foremost can say... For me to live is Christ and to die is Cain. I can't lose. But as our world sees our faith, God willing, they'll come to us and say, tell me about the hope that you have because I don't have it. 
I pray that God would help us all to be faithful in our witness as we continue to be missionaries, as we continue to reach our community here and around the world with the life-saving message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray this evening. Father, we're thankful for your word tonight. We're thankful for the story in the book of Acts of uh, these first missionaries, two men that were used by you in a great way to go to a place that had never heard the name of Jesus Christ before. And because of their faithfulness, you used them to reach many people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You used them to start a church in a place where there was no church and to really give people hope uh, that did not have hope before. And Lord, I believe that today you're still ready and able to do exactly what you did 2,000 years ago. I believe in our world today there are still the same kinds of people, people hungry for the gospel And your Son, our Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, has already told us that the harvest is truly plenteous. So help us, Lord, to believe that and to open our mouths and share the good news with those around us. Lord, help us to be mindful as well of those who are hurting. We don't have to go far to see people that are desperately in need of the gospel. Help us, Lord, to approach them. Lord, help us to make ourselves also of no reputation and to walk up to them and to reach them with the truth and to... Uh, really uh, try to do our part to give them the hope and the help that they need. And then, Lord, help us to remember every day that our world is hopeless. Without Christ, they have no hope beyond the grave. But we do. We have the answers and we have the help that they need. So help us, Lord, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and be used by you uh, to reach more people for the gospel. Lord, bless us as we go uh, our separate ways later this evening. And I pray that you'd work in our hearts, Lord, a greater burden just to be faithful stewards of the gospel, preaching and teaching the good news of Christ until his return. Well, thank you for that, Lord. Bless, as we, uh, bless the remainder of our service, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name.